A draft of the European Commission's ongoing review of pharmaceutical legislation has leaked, prompting a bitterly worded reaction from drug makers which accuse legislators of sabotaging the industry. There is no doubt that the proposals represent serious change. Martin Mullenbelt, partner and head of EU regulatory affairs at Sidley Austin, describes them as the most far-reaching for decades. On this week's episode of the Pharma Letter podcast, Mr Mullenbelt will walk us through the leaked draft and outline the most significant impacts, good and bad. Some of the measures to be considered include generally shorter periods of exclusivity for novel medicines, a requirement that new drugs must launch region-wide within two years, and the introduction of a voucher system to encourage the development of new antibiotics. The European Commission is also apparently proposing to simplify the drug application process, increase obligations on drug makers to report shortages, and bring in more foreign inspections. Of course, whatever the final proposals turn out to be when they are published at the end of April, they will likely change again, with the European Parliament and the EU Council next in line to debate and revise the document. No doubt, there will be plenty of chances for the industry to have its say before then. Perhaps to start then, you could just provide a brief introduction to yourself and your role at Sidley Austin. Sure. My name is Martin Mullenbelt. I'm a partner in the Brussels office of the law firm Sidley Austin. I work for innovative companies in the life sciences sector, and I've been spearheading um, the work of our firm on the new EU pharma legislation for about five years. What is the pharmaceutical review that's happening at the moment, and what are the most significant changes in your view, for good or for worse? Thank you. So I should... Uh, give a disclaimer or a warning first, we are working on the basis of a leaked draft that was published at the end of January of this year. And it's entirely possible that between now and the publication, which is now expected for the 26th of April of this year, there will be changes. And then we will obviously have to change our views on on the proposal. Uh, That said, it's already clear that this uh, pharmaceutical review is the biggest legislative effort of the EU in this space since 1965, when the first Directive on Medicinal Products was introduced. There was a major change in 2004 when the current rules about generic medicinal products were established. Then in 2004, the EU put in place a system called 8 plus 2 plus 1, meaning that the the generic Companies have to wait eight years before they can ask to have their product authorized. Then they have to wait two years to put it on the market. And the innovator, if they come up with a really good therapeutic indication, a new therapeutic indication, they can get another year of protection. So the system is called currently 8 plus 2 plus 1. Why am I mentioning it? Because there are going to be some changes to that system. So... This last change in 2004 was a major change, but what is happening today is a lot bigger than that, because it's not just the rules for generic drugs that are going to change, it's a lot of other things as well. Let's start with maybe some of the good things that are happening. Uh, The EU has made a major effort in trying to streamline the regulatory process. So 
the process before the European Medicines Agency to get your product tested for safety and efficacy, get it approved for launching on the market. In particular, the number of committees that is looking at an application has been reduced, or there's a proposal to reduce the number of committees. Another good change is that currently, when you put a new drug on the market, you have to test whether the product works in children. You have to do a so-called pediatric investigation plan. There is now a proposal to make that a more stepwise approach. Currently, you have to propose such a plan in one go, and then you have to go back and change it. It's much better to do it in a stepwise fashion. So those are good things. But there are some major challenges in particular for the innovative industry in the proposals as well. The first big change, you will recall what I mentioned, the 8 plus 2 plus 1 system. So the 8, the biggest component of that, the 8 years of regulatory data protection is going to be cut from eight years to six years across the board. As a company, you can try and get some of that loss back. One way to do it is to develop a product for what is called unmet medical needs. And the second method is to launch the product in all 27 member states of the EU. Now, both are going to be difficult. Demonstrating unmet medical need is difficult under the currently proposed definition because it relies on, I quote, remaining high morbidity or high mortality, meaning the disease has to be very serious, lots of people die or lots of people have very bad uh, effects from the disease. So it's a potentially a very narrow category of products that gets the label unmet medical needs. And if you don't get the label unmet medical needs, it's going to be harder to get reimbursement at national level in the member states. So that's difficult. Um, and launching in 27 member states is difficult as such because every member state gets a veto to declare whether your product is launched or not. And one failure in one member state, meaning you lose everywhere. So a lot of pressure is built into the system. So unless we get some clarifications or the sharp edges taken off these rules, all companies are going to have to assume that their eight years of protection is simply going to be cut to eight years. For completeness, I should mention that you can get six months for doing comparative trials, but it's relatively small in the bigger scheme of things. So that was the reduction in regulatory data protection. The second big change in terms of intellectual property is taking place in the orphan drug space. You know, orphan drugs are drugs for rare diseases. The current protection is 10 years of market protection plus market exclusivity, it's called, plus however long it takes for a generic company to go through the marketing authorization process. So in practice, you get about 11 years. And you can get 11 years, again, if you develop the product for a new therapeutic indication. So two different orphan indications. So the current system, you could call it, it's not exact, but it's about 11 plus 11 plus 11 for new indications. That is going to be at most 11 plus 1 plus 1. So you can never get more than um, uh, 13 years of protection overall for the drug as a whole.
There are mitigations, again, in case you have a product for what is called high unmet need and if you launch across the EU, but there are no categories that will be better off than before. The third big thing in terms of intellectual property in this uh, pharma review is something called transferable exclusivity. It's an instrument that industry has been advocating for for some time and other stakeholders as well. It's a tool to get funding for new antimicrobial drugs. You'll be familiar, we are all familiar, that there's lots of super bugs out there where there are no drugs that can treat them. Uh, the EU has proposed that you can get, uh, if you develop a new antimicrobial, you can get a voucher from the EU that you can sell to a company to extend their regulatory data protection on one of their successful products. There are two problems. It's a great idea, but there are two problems. First, uh, they're not using uh, exclusivity in terms of patents. You could get a lot more money if you transfer the exclusivity that follows from a patent. And the amount that you can get is only about a third of what you need to develop an antimicrobial. So in, like, in terms of practical effects, it may not have the effect of actually resulting in any new antimicrobials. Then I wanted to mention two big risks that are introduced with the new uh, pharma review. Again, if it stays the way it is proposed now, it can change. So the current draft expands the possibilities for copying innovative drugs in a pharmacy. This is a practice called compounding. The door is being opened for compounding of weekly hospital supplies. So a hospital could simply order its drugs, not from the company, but have, it, have them made every week in a pharmacy. Um, and then um, there's a new procedure being proposed for cell and gene therapies that can also be made without a marketing authorization uh, in a pharmacy. And if these proposals go through, the sales that you would expect as, a, as an innovative company are not certain. And the last risk I wanted to mention is about shortages. There are new strict rules about what happens if a company doesn't have enough supplies for a particular market in the EU. Now, those rules are understandable and they are, they are needed. However, they could be combined with another set of rules that the Commission is going to propose called the patent package. And those sets of rules put together could result in something called compulsory licensing, meaning somebody can get rights to your patent and start manufacturing the drug for the whole of the EU. And France, for example, is already talking about establishing an institute to do just that, to manufacture drugs that uh, are in shortage. And all of these risks can weigh on the business case for, uh, for new products. So industry will have to decide, are we going to develop a new product? Yes or no. So it's a, and, and this is just a small selection of the things that are, um, are in the proposal. The leaked draft from January had um, 1,600 pages in it. So I'm, I'm just giving you the highlights of, uh, of the highlights. Right. It seems like some 
pretty far-reaching changes potentially. What do you think the EC is trying to achieve here mainly? Is this about costs to the system or or something else? And you know, what might the the major impact be to drug makers and biotech firms in the region? Thank you. That's a that's a that's a great question. Basically, the Commission has a very ambitious agenda. Since 2016, the European Parliament has been on the Commission's tail, if you will, to say, you know, we need uh, to focus innovation on unmet needs. We need better access in all the EU to drugs that are not getting to all the patients in Europe. So the uh, the commission wants to achieve and i'm going to quote from the from the introduction so you you see how they say it the commission wants to promote innovation in particular for unmet medical needs we discussed that part they want to create a balanced system that promotes affordability while rewarding innovation and they want to ensure access to innovative and established medicines for patients with special attention to enhancing security of supply. That's the shortages bit. So they want all these things. Well, the commission, if you want to achieve all these things at the same time, it's not possible. So the commission is only going to be able to achieve certain parts of this agenda. For products that are already developed or in final stages of development, it is possible to regulate for earlier generic entry. And that's simply going to cut, uh, cut off some of the costs at the end of exclusivity periods. But it's not clear how the commission can expect any increase in products for unmet medical needs. If there are not enough products today for unmet medical needs, how can we expect as citizens in the EU more products if the incentives to develop those products are being reduced? And it's very difficult to see the economic justification for that. Um, For example, orphan drug revenues are projected to be cut by 640 million euros every year. How is that going to affect the number of new orphan products being developed? There is no analysis about this in the review. Cutting regulatory data protection by two years is estimated by the Commission itself to cost 3.3 billion euros a year in protected sales and 15% reduction in profits. So how is that going to uh, uh, affect the possibilities for industry to develop new products? What is interesting is that the uh, Regulatory Scrutiny Board, which is a separate body that advises the European Commission, they said, please assess the impact on the innovative industry's ability to develop new products. But the draft that we saw in January does not have any such analysis. Maybe the new draft will. I really hope so, because as a minimum, we should be able to discuss the new proposals on the basis of what is it going to do in terms of the innovative capacity of the industry, in particular in Europe. Right. You mentioned this is a leaked draft. What's your sense of how likely it is that there will be substantial revisions before we see the final draft? It's really difficult, uh, really difficult to predict. Different people are saying different things. Um, it, it is likely, in my view, 
but we may have to do a new podcast on the 26th of April. Mm. It's likely yeah. that a substantial part of this proposal will will still be there. Where we might see changes in is in wording, uh, like how things are formulated, and small changes can have a big impact. For example, the definition of unmet net medical need. If you take away one word or add one word, it could have a massive impact in terms of how many products could qualify. So it's a very sensitive time in terms of, you know, what what are the rules going to look like? And will the commission add any analysis of what it is proposing to do? Right. Uh, perhaps we can talk just more generally about the regulatory environment in Europe. How has it been changing over the past decade? And are we moving in the right direction in terms of innovation? Is it becoming more or less conducive to innovation? Well, if you talk about regulation in terms of the authorization procedures, not a lot has changed. We've seen rules on anti-tempering devices and uh, there are bits and pieces that have changed. But if you include market access in the picture, then Europe has been uh, falling behind in terms of attractiveness. There are some statistics out there suggesting that the EU has fallen significantly behind the United States and China in terms of clinical trials, in terms of when to launch. Uh, Some products are launched in the US and are only launched in in Europe about four years later. That, That happens. So the overall investment climate has not improved, uh, and the the regulatory context is an important part of uh, that. And maybe the most challenging part of all of this is market access, because in the end, whether you are going to develop a new product, whether you can get your business case in order, whether there is a sufficiently high risk-adjusted net present value for your product depends on whether you can make sales or not. And that is perhaps a missed opportunity in the pharma review. A lot depends on whether companies will be able to get pricing and reimbursement approvals in member states. But that's the part that is left out. The commission has not asked the member states how they should and not told them how to cooperate in getting products to market. So it's only about what industry Uh, can and should do. And if you leave out what the member states should do, how are you going to get there? This is not a criticism of the commission because under the treaties, the powers to regulate market access are with the member states. So they need need to decide to give powers to Europe. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. So it's not a criticism of the commission, but it is where we are. And it makes the whole exercise of the pharma review a bit of a um, uh, we're kind of fumbling in the dark because we don't know how the market, the real market access process is going to be affected. And whether in the end we will have more products, better products, is only going to be determined on the basis how everything fits together. So regardless of how the review itself goes, there's a lot of work to be done uh, involving the member states as well. There's been a big change recently at the European Medicines Agency with the UK leaving uh, the European Union. The MHRA now is fully independent. Um, 
perhaps you could just provide your view on what's happening there and you know, will the MHRA be able to keep up with Europe in terms of promoting rapid development of, of medicines and access to innovation? I, I, well, I should warn you, I'm a European lawyer, not, not a UK lawyer, so I can only comment from what I see from the outside. What I do see is that the UK is trying to do some things differently. For example, they have a procedure called the um, uh, ILAP, which is the uh, it's a scheme where the government looks not only at the authorization requirements, but also at market access, looking ahead, trying to make that combination of procedures more efficient. That has been quite successful. They've had more than 160 applications to that scheme by the end of January of this year. So that looks from the outside like quite successful. At the same time, uh, the UK has come under criticism from industry um, in relation to a reduction of the prices that can be charged. So mandatory discounts and the like. So again, it's a balanced picture. On the one hand, you can, as a jurisdiction, try and get products authorized more quickly and more efficiently. But in the end, whether you are attractive as a jurisdiction is determined also by how much can you sell? Can you, can you generate your revenues? And uh, one of the things I believe is different in the, in, the, in the UK from some of the member states is how um, a compounding is dealt with. In the, there's a European treaty that not many people know about. It's called the Pharmacopoeia Convention. That has rules in it that both the UK and the EU are uh, subject to. Um, and one of those rules says that you shouldn't uh, put a compounding product on the market or you shouldn't uh, do compounding as a pharmacist if there is an authorized alternative. And depending on whether you enforce that rule or not, your jurisdiction is more or less vulnerable to compounding and more or less risky to uh, launch into as an innovative industry. So this is another illustration that the overall attractiveness of a jurisdiction depends on a great many factors. Well, there are some major changes on the way and definitely worth keeping an eye on it. Martin Mullenbelt, partner and head of EU Regulatory Affairs at Sydney Austin, thanks for sharing your thoughts with us today. Thank you very much.